Welcome to episode two of the C9 Win podcast. If you haven't seen it already, I released a full team profile video on my YouTube C9 Win. So go check that out if you want. It goes over all the expected roles and positions that I talked about in the first podcast and then also talk about a little bit in this one now that STAC has signed. It goes through all that in video form showing why I think what I do. So I think that's pretty interesting if you're interested in this podcast and haven't seen it. If you're watching on YouTube already and you want links to other platforms like iTunes or Spotify or whatever, they're all in the description and they're also on c9win.com slash podcast. I have every link where the podcast is available. So in this episode, I'm going to talk about what maps I think Cloud9 is going to pick and ban. I'm going to talk about the finalized expectations and roles for each player. I'm going to talk about the first match and then also some thoughts on the sixth player. So to quickly go over the finalized roles, if you want to take a look at this yourself, it's on c9win.com and then click role expectations at the top. So to go through each overall role, I'm going to kind of skip through some of these that we've already talked about. A lot of it stayed pretty similar to the last podcast. So we have Woxic as the opper, Alex as the main entry, Woxic as the main support, Floppy as the main fragger, Mezzi and Estag to share the secondary fragger duty, Estag and Alex to share the lurking duty, Mezzi as the secondary opper, and Estag as the person who's going to be holding the bomb. To just quickly talk about some of these, for the main entry I have Alex. This is something that he did on Vitality quite a lot, and I think that is going to stay the same on Cloud9, and I think it makes the most sense. There was some talk on Estag entering, but I think that Alex is pretty comfortable doing this and is comfortable setting up the rest of his team. And I think it would be very good for it to stay that way and let someone like Estag or Mezzi or Floppy get the kills or lurk and create space, like those kind of things. Like leave that to the rest of the team where he can entry in, hopefully get a kill. If he dies, then he just gets traded out by all the other riflers and walks that coming in behind. And I think that Floppy is going to be the main fragger on the team. I think they're going to set him up really well to make sure that he stays very comfortable. He gets his defensive spots that he's used to. He'll come in second behind Alex and get all the frags that he is able to. And I think that just makes sense since he is a very talented player and I think is very crucial to this lineup. I think they want to make him as comfortable as possible. And so I think they're going to put him in a lot of very advantageous situations. Now, that's not to say that like Woxic or Estag are not going to frag out. I mean, that's going to be happening. But I do think that Floppy is going to be in the main fragger position, as in he's coming in behind Alex second to get the trade kills, enter in the sites, and then like solo anchor hold those sites on like Dust 2 and Train. For main support, I have Woxic. If that is a little confusing, that doesn't mean that I don't expect him to be getting lots of kills and having huge impact. Support isn't like a negative, like he's just going to be running around throwing flashes and smokes and helping out the rest of the team. I more mean it like when they're entering in a site on T side, he's going to be the one using the utility first to get the riflers in, to get Alex in, to get Floppy in, to get Mezzi or Estag in. And then once they're in the site and have traded a couple kills, he's coming in behind to kind of either trade or hold new angles, watch their back, like all that kind of stuff on T side. Now, I still think he is going to be aggressive. I still think he's going to have ginormous impact on the team and on every round. But 
I do think he is going to be the support. And this is something that, again, he has done in his previous teams. Get the Riflers in, come in behind, and then clean up from there. The secondary upper I have is Mezzi. It could be Mezzi. I also think it could be Estag. Um, we'll have to kind of see on that. Let's see which one of them takes that role. I don't think it really matters. I think Estag is a good opera. I think Mezzi is a good opera. I think Floppy is a good opera. I think anyone who picks this up as a secondary opera would be fine. I just don't think it's going to be Floppy because I think they're going to want him anchoring sites. And you don't really want to anchor with an op. So I think it's going to be one of the other two players. To just quickly tell you the defensive roles, again, you can look at this, c9win.com, click on role expectations if you want later. For Mirage on A site, I have S-Tag and Alex. Alex as the flex, as in he can play towards B, he can play towards mid, he's kind of like floating around wherever their strat is taking them or wherever the defense is taking them. And S-Tag more dedicated on the site. Walk stick at window, dedicated on B, I have Floppy. And then for B, Cat, I have Mezzi, you know, pressuring mid, but also playing B, that kind of role. Dust 2, I have Alex dedicated on A. S-Tag dedicated on A long. Mid for Woxic. B with Floppy where he's solo holding B. And then Mezzi is A-Flex kind of. So Mezzi used to play B solo, kind of like Floppy did. But I think they're going to give it to Floppy and then kind of let Mezzi either play 2B on rounds where that makes sense or kind of flex around A, helping them out around the rest of the map. For Inferno, I have Floppy at Pit, Woxic A mid, Alex A arches, and then S-Tag and Mezzi both dedicated on B. Mezzi and S-Tag both have played B before. Woxic obviously plays mid. Floppy was a B player, but has played some Pit, so I think it makes sense to shove him in there. And I think he'll do really well in Pit. Nuke, dedicated on A is Floppy, Mini, Alex, Heaven is Woxic, Ramp is S-Tag, Outside is Mezzi. This worked out really well. They all have played these roles. And when I say heaven for Woxic, again, he's the opera, so he can kind of move around, do whatever he wants to do. He can take the op outside, he can take it heaven, he can take it, you know, squeaky, he can go wherever he wants with the op. But like as an overall, he's playing like that heaven position. Overpass, A dedicated is Mezzi. A forward is Woxic, like pushing forward towards Fountain. Um, A, B flex, I have S tag. It's kind of like A, he could play B when they're stacking 3B. He could play A if they want 3A. He could play connector. Like he has kind of played like these roles again previously where he's played connector or whatever. And I think he'll continue doing that. B site, I have Alex. And then B monster, I have Floppy. And then Vertigo. So on Vertigo, every single player played on the scaffold on A site, like all five. Woxic would also play ramp because he's the upper, but they all played basically the same position. So I kind of put this together just based on their roles for other maps. And I have Woxic at ramp, Floppy at A scaffold, because again, I'm giving him his position. And then mid, I have S tag. Mezzi, I think, will hold down B mostly alone. And then Alex will be like the B flex or rotator, um, kind of going wherever he needs to go. For train, uh, a forward is S tag forward as in like going into pop dog or playing E box or things like that. Z I have Woxic. Ivy is Mezzi. And again, if he's dope, if he's is the secondary opera, Mezzi would take that op Ivy. B dedicated is floppy again, solo holding on B. And then B flex is Alex kind of just playing wherever he needs to go and uh, filling whatever role needs based on what the other team is doing. 
So now um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the roster as a whole. Oh, so obviously this is all speculation when I'm talking about the roles. Like anything could change. And when people have asked the players, they don't even know what roles they're playing, or at least that's what they're saying. So this is all just speculation just based on their history. When they get together, like anything could change. So we'll just have to see what ends up happening when they all get together. But this is what I expect based on all the demos that I watched. So to talk about the roster as the whole, I think the roster actually fits together very nicely, especially when I was going through the defensive positions. It's partially because Alex is so flexible, he can kind of play any position, but they seem to slot in defensively very well. And I think even offensively, it kind of just makes sense. I think that the biggest question mark is going to be who is lurking, because I think Mezzi could be a very good lurker. Tag I've seen lurk. Floppy, I've seen lurk. And Alex has even done it some too. So the biggest question mark, I think, is seeing who takes that that lurk spot. Um, but I do think that we're going to have a lot of firepower on offense with Alex going in first and everyone coming in behind. And I think that they're going to have some really nice map control and executes as a team. So I think they fit very well together. They're all very flexible, which you could see as like a bad thing of like they're all not very good at a role. But while they're being flexible, I all think that they can excel. I also think that Henry did a really good job of making sure that the team doesn't have too many stars. And this is something like, especially if you look at like the history of sports of like NBA and stuff like that, when new ownership or new manager takes over, they want to bring in a ton of stars. And I've talked about this before, but it's hard not to just bring in like all these names and just build based on like, you just want the most absolute talent possible. But the biggest problem with that is you end up with these star players who are then put into roles that they're not used to. They're used to being the star. They're used to getting a bunch of kills. They're used to doing these things. And now they're not. They're kind of put into a supportive role or they're not the first person in to get the trade frags. They're now the third person in. And it kind of just can mess up chemistry, can mess up expectations, motivation, etc. So I think he did a really good job of going through and making sure that um, there's kind of like a hierarchy. While I think all of them can be fantastic players, like you can kind of look and see like, okay, there's like Waxic and S-Tag are expected to be like the super high caliber players, right? Then you have Alex as the IGL. You have Floppy as like an up and comer. And then you have Mezzi, who's like a relatively unknown, who's also like coming in. You're hoping he's going to be like an up, up and coming star as well. But there's like a very obvious like hierarchy. And I think each player is going to be very happy in their role. Because you don't want like five players who are superstars. You know, you want a couple superstars. And then you want players who fit specific roles around those superstars. And they know that they're fitting that role. And that's their job. And they become a star in that specific role that they're filling. They're not just like an overall overall star being shoved into a role. They understand this is my role in this team, and I'm going to be the best possible player at that role. And I think that he put together a roster that is going to be happy filling into those roles. So I think that he has done a great job with that, and that's something that's hard. Like, especially when he is tweeting all these things about Colossus. Like, you got to think a little bit of him. Is like people are going to be expecting to bring in like, oh, like so where's Nico? Oh, so where's like 
Zaiwu or whatever. But I think he did a very good job of like building hype, but also like understanding how a team can be successful together and not bring in all of these superstar MVPs and then try and shove them into these roles that they're not used to being in. So I commend him for that. For the sixth player, uh, based on the comments I've seen on like Reddit and Discord, I think that a lot of people are expecting this player to be subbing in and out of the lineup and like part of like the day-to-day like integration in the team. I personally don't feel this way. Henry has said um, that the player is going to be like a brand ambassador, and I think that makes the most sense for the team. So like someone like Flom, I think could be like a great person for this role because he already has a following. So if you sign him as like part of the team, he could, you know, co-stream every match, further the brand. And like if someone gets injured or whatever, he's good enough that he could like step in and like kind of understand what's going on because he's also just like a part of the team watching everything or whatever. I don't actually think it's Flom. Flom's got his own thing, but like something like that, I think would make the most sense. Because I don't really see how if you integrate a sixth player, that would actually work. Because like, how would you practice like strats efficiently? Like who's on the server during scrims? Is the player an opper, a rifler, an IGL, like an entry? Like how can that player slot into any position and like still be good if at any day they could be slotting into like a new position? I just don't think how that really makes sense. And if it's about player fatigue, like you want a six player so people can sit out. I also don't think a six player is the answer because I can't imagine an athlete being like, all right, cool. I'm going to go take two weeks off. You can come in, have my job. And then I'll just be sitting at home, relaxing, taking a nice mental break and like not worried at all about the team while the team is like either bombing out of tournaments or worse for that player the team is like winning tournaments. So then they come back and it's like, oh, actually we're like pretty sick without you. Like, thanks for taking two weeks off. You're now on the bench. Like, I I don't see how that would create any sort of like environment where that player would actually be able to take like a nice break without it being an issue. Um, And so I just think that it would just make a lot of things less efficient and not really provide any meaningful relief to the current players on the team. I think if the goal is to actually provide real relief to the players on the team, I think the options are either to skip events and like understand that you're losing money, you're losing like HLDV ranking points, and you're just like being okay with that as a team. Or I think the other option is to have like a true academy team. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because this could go in any number of ways, but like say they did have an academy team you could potentially have like really good and efficient practice like trying a bunch of different strats or trying a bunch of things with a team you know is taking it seriously and isn't just like throwing stuff to the wind and you could also be growing in-house talent for like super cheap and then if the main team wanted a break but like they're part of a tournament or they got an invite or whatever the other team could sub in so like say the nine to five tournament that's like supposed to be next week if they had been playing all year they want to break it's not like rmr points and so they're like hey you know what we want to get ready for flashpoint let's just throw our academy team in there and then cloud nine is still there it's just not their team now understand i obviously don't know all the rules and how that would work and like maybe that would like completely destroy like cloud nine's relationship with a tournament organizer if they're like hey cloud nine you're invited and cloud nine's like cool here's our academy team 
like that might totally destroy relationships. There's obviously a whole world around that that gets into issues with this, but I think those are the two real options to provide relief. And I don't think having an actual six player just like sitting there waiting, but also like trying to understand the team, but also being parts of practice, like I just don't think that that would provide any sort of meaningful impact on the team. So let's talk about maps. Um, I think the map they're going to ban to start is actually going to be Vertigo. And that's a lot of what I talked about earlier about how they all played the same position. So I think they're all not going to be super comfortable. And this is already a map that um, the majority of the team like was playing the least. So I don't see them picking Vertigo. I see them like banning it and trying these other maps. Because I think we're going to play quite a bit of Mirage, which is new for the old us who have been following Cloud9 as the old lineup perma bandit. So I think we're going to be seeing quite a bit of Mirage, and I also think that we'll be seeing a decent amount of like Dust Two and Train. And Train was Alex's perma ban on Vitality, but the roles really make sense on Train. And I think with Train and Dust2, the fact that you can just take Floppy and just put him on a site by himself and say, okay, you're comfortable. Like now we have half of the map completely covered with being comfortable in the first week of us meeting. I think that's going to be a big advantage. And so I expect them to be playing those three maps um, to start. So the first match on HLTV is currently scheduled for October 26th. And the problem with this is that S-Tag is currently playing for Astralis. This is being recorded on October 20th. S-Tag is currently playing for Astralis, and he's going to be with them until October 25th. So that's the day before this event. So they're going to have one day of practice before this event. And the 25th is when Mezzi said in one of his streams that he expects practice to start and that he thinks their first event will be Flashpoint. And I think this makes the most sense. I think that going straight into an event on the 26th would be tough unless you're like acting like this event is literally just a glorified scrim, like a streamed scrim. Like don't do a ton of scouting. You're not trying to counter strat the team. It's just kind of like a mindset that, okay, for the next three hours, let's just like see how our chemistry is. Let's like try out a map, like see how this plays out. So I don't really expect them to play this event. And I don't really see the benefit either. I think it's too early to start an event one day after the team has formed and I think if they are going to do that and treat it as a glorified scrim I think you're running the risk of fans completely overreacting when they lose so I think it's just like a lose-lose situation for the team I'd rather them like scrim in private learn from each other see how they mesh like and then go into flashpoint like feeling a lot more confident and having had like this time to like learn and get to know each other and all these things and like not already have like the fan base calling for Henry G's head for paying all these players who like just lost to Virtus Pro. Like, I think that's just a really lose-lose situation for them. And I would rather them just figure stuff out and come into Flashpoint and let's see how you do there. So I wanted to touch on a couple of other things for the team just in general. Um, I'm very glad that Josh Mix is around. I think that he is a very fantastic analyst, and I think he has a really good grasp on the whole scene. Um, if you watch some of his podcast, um, it's server time. I think you can kind of see that he just has very good knowledge of the whole scene. He knows a bunch of stuff about a bunch of different teams and players' tendencies and things, and that's something he seems to pick up very well. 
And I also think that he can bring a lot of what Cloud, the old Cloud9 did very well and some of the innovations that team had made and kind of bring them into this new, more experienced team. Um, so he's on a trial for the team, but I expect him to get hired on full-time because I think he's going to do a fantastic job for them. And I'm not sure how much his role will be changing because he's going from an assistant coach to an analyst, but I know he was doing an insane amount of analysis for the old roster as an assistant coach. But like I said, I just think the team would greatly benefit having him around. And then when watching this new team, I also think it's going to be more okay to be more critical when you're critiquing them. So the previous team was so young, like they were all 20 and 21. Like, so you expect these mistakes. When you have like rookies in sports and all these things, you don't necessarily nitpick all their mistakes because that's how they learn. They have to mess up. They have to explore how good they are, see how far they can reach, see how you know good they can frag. Can they hold this angle and win against the top tier? Like all that kind of stuff. Like that's all part of coming into the scene. And so when making videos about them or critiquing them, it's really was more about their growth and their potential. Like how are they growing map over map? Like, are we seeing flashes? Are we seeing the potential? Where this new roster has quite a bit of experience and some veterans, and it's like built to win now. So I think that means that it's okay to critique the more minute things that you're gonna see in this team, even if it's just like one person losing their life on a map, because those are the kinds of things that can make and break tournament runs. And the expectations of the lineup have like completely changed. Because even though they have Mezzi and Floppy, they now have these pillars to stand on on the rest of the team because the rest of the team has years of land and other experience whereas before in the roster none of them did so none of them had like this pillar to stand on and say like okay what do we do and that person who's like calm and has been through every single situation knows all the time what to do now mezzi and floppy do and so i expect more from them and them to make more right decisions. And when they're making wrong decisions, I think it's more okay to be more critical of those. The last thing I wanted to give my thoughts on was about people saying that STAG is overpaid. So the thing about um, STAG is when you're making these signings, like again, we're talking about the NBA because I love the NBA um, and it's so similar to CSGO, it's crazy. But when you're looking at like making these signings, So say in the NBA when there's like a whole free agent pool, right? There's all these players that are available to be signed. The top ones always get the max contracts and they get signed to teams. And then the teams that are left over who didn't make those signings have like what's left. And depending on how much is left of a certain position, those players can get paid much higher than they normally would. So for example, if there's only like one or two riflers who are available in CSGO right now, their price is gonna be much higher than if there was like an off season and 10 rosters got dropped and there's just like a bunch of riflers. So STAG being overpaid, it's not really a matter of salary and like, is he worth this or whatever? But it's also a huge matter of the market where they have these players, they have two really cheap players, they have two veterans who are paid quite a bit and then they need one more big piece, right? So where are they going to find that big piece? They're not getting Simple. They're not getting Zaiwu. They're not getting any, any of these other giant names. So when they're looking down the list, they're trying to get the best player possible for something that's in their budget. So they obviously had this budget. 
and they felt that he was the best player possible. And so rather than trying to like get him for a lower salary, which I'm sure they tried to do, but Astralis also looks at the scene and says, oh, you need this player? Like I look at the landscape and I don't see players as good as him available. So we're going to make you pay this much. And that's kind of just like the economics of how that whole thing works. And again, it's not dissimilar to the NBA where if you have a huge need at point guard, but there's only two point guards available, like you're going to end up paying more for that point guard than you want to just based on the fact that you need one and there's only a couple left. So there's bidding wars and all these other things going on, Um, which gets into a whole another thing. I would love to have like more salaries open. I'd love to have like free agency. I'd love to have like trades. But I mean, that's like a whole nother world that like I dream that CS goes to because imagine imagine the CS content and how much it would be talked about if there was these structures in place where like teams had a max salary, um, salaries were guaranteed, salaries were um, part of like a structure. So like you could sign three years this or whatever. And then teams could like trade with each other. Maybe there's a whole academy league where every team has an academy. And so you can say like, hey, I'm going to trade you S-Tag, but you need to give me like OC and then two prospects from your academy team or whatever. Like, could you imagine how much cool content there would constantly be of like trade rumors, of making your own trades, all this kind of stuff, rather than just kind of like these arbitrary feelings of like, hey, who should Cloud9 get? I don't know. Let's pick this person from this team. Let's pick this person from this team with no idea if they're available, no idea if their salaries would work, no idea if they'd fit into any sort of like budget or whatever. Like that would be, that'd be so cool to have. I would absolutely love to have like a system like that because it would just be so fun to talk about CS like constantly. Um, But that's a pipe dream. I don't know if that's ever coming. We'll have to see. But um, so S-Tag, I don't think he's overpaid. I think he got paid what he should be paid based on the fact that Cloud9 needed a player like that. Astralis had one. They knew there wasn't a lot available. And so that's what he got paid. And at the end of the day, like, if you're thinking, like, oh, my gosh, like, Cloud9 just super overpaid for this player, like, you should be so happy that your organization is willing to spend so much money that you think they overpaid for a player. Like, that's a fantastic spot to be in when orgs are just, like, falling out of Counter-Strike. Your org is like, nah, we're not falling out. We're going to pay this person so much money that that you're going to talk about like, oh my gosh, he's overpaid. Like, that's really cool. Like, I I love rooting for an organization who's willing to spend and put in the time and put in the effort to get the roster that they want and that that they feel is going to compete. So take that as a sense of pride when people are saying that he's overpaid. Be like, yeah, my my org's doing it. What's your org doing? Like, I think that's cool. So that's it for this episode. Um, If you haven't already, check out my team profile video, like I said, on my C9Win YouTube channel. Follow me on Twitter, at Cloud9 underscore win. Uh, I'll for sure have a podcast after Flashpoint or whatever their next um, matches are. If they play 9 to 5, I'll have one after 9 to 5 before Flashpoint. And if we get any more information that's interesting between then, I'll come out with one. If not, I'll see you after Flashpoint. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.